another Indie Ball Report bonus episode. I'm Nick, and we have a first today for our bonus episodes. Normally, when we bring these things out, it's a case of we either just didn't have enough time to discuss something, or it's something that's horribly off topic that just doesn't belong in the main continuity of the show. You know, it's either a baseball related thing, or as you'll see, probably in about a month from now a movie related thing something like that that just has no business being on a show about independently baseball but today is a bit different today we have a book review which is something that you would say oh that's unrelated too but the book itself is actually very closely related to what we're doing today and that is miles wolf's new book a bulldozer on home plate essentially it is uh, his memoirs. And so we're going to discuss that a little bit today. We're going to go through the topics that are covered in the book, the general theme of the book, thoughts on the books, you know, the, the general book review type of things. Uh, and thanks to McFarland Publishing for getting us an advanced copy of the book. So that way I could read it and review it and get it out to you guys. If you want to purchase the book, we'll put all that information in the description of the bonus episode this episode here so be sure to check that out and it'll also be on the website as well under the show notes tab and while you're on the website you can also check out our written review which should have gone up a few days ago as well so if you prefer a more written more structured more ordered type of review i would definitely recommend going over to the website and checking that out if you prefer more of a, a rambling kind of just general discussion then this is definitely the place to be and if you have no preference then hey check them both out what's it going to cost you uh, half hour hour of your time you know that's not terribly much i don't think so uh that said we might as well get right into the book uh we'll go to the nitty-gritty the details up first get those boring things out of the way and then we'll get right into uh thoughts in the book things that are covered in the book i made notes as i was reading which is something that was very odd for me to do so it's not a usual thing for myself you know i think as with most people that uh, when you sit down and you read you just kind of read you don't really do much note-taking unless it's uh, something like say a college course or, or something of that ilk absolutely do check out the publisher mcfarland uh you can find all their books on mcfarlandbooks.com as well so be sure to check them out uh likewise links in the description below um that said the formal title is there's a bulldozer on home plate by miles wolf you're interested in uh, just looking up the ISBN number for whatever reason, the print ISBN is 978-147-669-0179. Electronic is also a 978-176647852. As far as what it's going to run you, if you want the soft cover version, it'll run you approximately $30. If you want the electric book version, the ebook, it will run you about $18. It is obviously a sport baseball book, although it really fits more into more of a memoir, more of an autobiography type of thing. I call it more of a memoir just because we don't have too much of his childhood growing up. We have some uh, some more foundational parts, but it's more about this how uh, Wolf grew in the game, how he developed a passion for the game, despite not really having much of that base at home. So that's why I call it more of a memoir, because it's describing the things that are very important to him. It describes what's essentially his life's work. And I kind of group that more as a memoir than an autobiography that kind of takes you from, you know, day one, going through your childhood, through your life up to the moment from which you stopped writing the book. 
Uh, if you want the formal description of the book as it is described itself, the father of independent baseball, Miles Wolf, recounts his 50-year career in the game and how his experiences led to the founding of the modern independent game with some opposition from existing major and minor leagues. Along the way, he describes how the movie Bull Durham came to be made and covers the history of minor league ball's growth from mom and pop operations to major business endeavors. Uh, that is essentially all the critical information that you need to know. Obviously, supporting the official release is what I'd recommend. And that said, we can now actually get into the book itself five minutes later. In the very beginning, you you kind of, you're taken through the start of the journey, obviously. That's how most books go. They're mostly linear. I find it, generally as a whole, the first, really the first half of the book, to be focused on that breaking into the game. And it doesn't really, it lacks a certain little bit of something, in my opinion. Really, the whole writing style a lot. It's not necessarily my writing style, which is not to say that it's a bad book. I did enjoy it. I think it's a solid book. And I think it's a lot of quality information that you can glean from this. And I think a lot of it really describes a lot of the thought process. And I think for me, what's really interesting is seeing a, how this whole thing kind of grew. That whole changeover from the old system, the kind of branch Ricky setup, where it's like, oh, it's an E class, it's a D class, it's a whatever class kind of organization, going from that kind of level of disorganization where you have independent teams, but no independent leagues, and independent teams are really just teams that couldn't secure an affiliation, but still want to operate, and they were allowed to operate in other leagues. All the details are there, and when you read the book, you kind of, you get what's going on there. And I found that understanding that older system, that way of doing business to be extremely interesting is something that I wasn't really going and expecting to, to enjoy. But obviously for the audience that's listening to this, you care about the independent leagues, that, right? That's why you're here. You're not here to talk about other unrelated things. So like, for example, in chapter eight, Miles discusses they buy an ECHL team. This is after his stint with the Durham Bulls, which is also a very entertaining uh, stint. And it's kind of funny to me that you could very well argue that the Hartford Whalers moving to town, like moving to Raleigh, is all because some health inspector decided the back dice was acceptable. Uh, that will make a lot of sense when you read the book. I'm not going to give away too much. I'm just going to talk about what I need to for the review because uh, I don't want to ruin the stories and I do want to encourage you to buy the book. But that said, a guy approving bag dice to be used as opposed to an ice maker for the first bit of the first season of uh, Wolf's ownership of the Durham Bulls is uh, essentially a non-insignificant part of why independent baseball works because of the Bulls don't work. He doesn't really have the same amount of capital to go out and uh, kind of operate in what's essentially a buy and flip operation for a lot of these teams. And he doesn't have the capital raised enough to be able to go out and secure all these other teams. He doesn't have the experience. He doesn't have a lot of the tools that he describes that are necessary to operate a league. And so the Northern League probably never gets off the ground. He may own one or two independent teams, but there's no independent league that's ever formed. It's not in the modern creation, then a lot's different from there. So it's kind of funny that a health inspector allowing bag dice is essentially 
uh, the difference and all of that. That said, though, you're talking like Chapter 8, as I was saying, about buying an ECHL team and a lot like that. And that was being kind of like the basis for going, oh, well, I could definitely run independent things. I'm doing it right now without any major league help, unlike these other ventures. That's really where I'd recommend for a lot of people listening here that are that do care about that independent league structure, and obviously you do care about it because otherwise you wouldn't be listening. It starts chapter eight, chapter nine. Realistically, chapter nine is where we start really getting into it, and that's really where I start getting interested. Like, for example, last night I went through the whole book, I read the whole thing, and uh, I it's probably a mistake because I just had to get up and finish recording that less than an hour ago for the formal show this week and I didn't finish reading the book until about 2.30 in the morning so I ran through the whole thing in one sitting and that's mainly because when we got to chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11 and so on to chapter 16 at the very end it was all independent stuff it was all the stuff that I wanted it was very interesting to me you find out how the cities were picked for the leagues you can kind of tell like okay this one wasn't really expected to survive it was more like we need you to get the other city that we want and we need that city in order to procure others and you kind of listen to a little bit of a standoff between you know professional baseball and american legion ball which at that time was you know very much a dying giant it's at this point fairly dead i mean occasionally i think you see like the american legion championship on like espn2 or something like that and perhaps you've played legion ball perhaps you know someone that has but by and large it's it's long since gone the way of the dodo it just doesn't really need to exist anymore um so it it's kind of gone away, but you get into that kind of founding. You you kind of learn how they find players, kind of figuring it all out. Basically, how you or I would be starting a, an independent team. They were doing all of that, but without the help of internet resources, which obviously makes things a lot more difficult. And obviously doing it on their own, doing it, you know, with no real help, just kind of having to luck and fall into the right kind of guys. And that's one of the things that I really did appreciate with the book, and we'll get back more so the the nitty-gritty, and I'll obviously discuss heavily the back half of the book, because that's really what's of interest to, to you guys. But you go through, and you learn about a lot of different names, like uh, Bob, and I hope I pronounced the last name correctly. You guys know how bad I am with uh, with pronunciations. Bob uh, Friatas, uh, he was a major character. Nick Belmonte is a guy that's extremely important. Uh, Van Schlade is also another guy here. Uh, again, I want to make sure I pronounce his name correctly. Uh, it, it goes on later on where Van and Miles are very close and an incident occurs in regards to, I believe, the Can-Am League. It was either the northeast of the Can-Am League. And, uh, and that kind of damages the friendship there uh, significantly. But regardless of that, uh, you kind of you, you kind of go through and you learn all of these you know different people and how important they were to starting everything. You hear about a lot about Al Gallagher, another kind of char- colorful character. Uh, oh, Scrap Iron Courtney's another guy that he talks a lot about. Tommy Aaron, Hank Aaron's brother's another guy that comes up a lot. There's a lot there that um, you know you're presented with a lot of information. However, you know. One of the problems that I kind of have with the book, because it wouldn't be fair just to kind of mention the things in it and mention things I liked, but mention the negatives. One of the problems I had with it 
was it never felt like we went into too much detail. And perhaps it was the way it was presented, but it never felt like we were spending that much time. And like I said earlier, it's about 185 pages of it. I would say realistically it's about 177 pages worth of writing. And some of it's extremely interesting, but a lot of it, like you would get a story about, and then we tried to start up the Durham Bulls and we needed to get this approval, but I didn't have this. So then I went to this guy and he recommended this. And then this happened and then this happened and then this happened and this happened. And it's very procedural, I think is the way to describe it. It's very matter of fact, like, okay, so I didn't have an attorney, but one of my partners, his dad happened to be an attorney. So then I went to, to talk to him and he was my favorite attorney that I dealt with. And the attorneys is another theme in here. You could tell, especially when we get to the back end, especially once we get to the indie ball years, it appears that Miles Wolf really does not care for attorneys, which is someone that's about, oh, six months away from being a law student, definitely is uh, is an interesting thing to find out because he mentions a lot of critical things about attorneys and doesn't like the fact that you have attorneys owning teams. They don't know what to do. You can't tell them anything. They don't take their own advice, which that's actually kind of on the hallmarks of being an attorney. You never take your own advice. You take legal counsel from another attorney. I mean, the old saying is, uh, a lawyer that represents himself as a fool for a client you know there's a reason why because you have your own biases in your situation so you would never take your own advice for it you take an outside third party that has you know no skin in the game outside of representing you said advice uh, but that's something else I digress oh what it really comes down to is you know he just seems to not like him he seems to have a lot of lawsuit issues and I think that's part of it because as he gets on to these older years and especially when he starts to start up the leagues, he has a lot of owners that wanted in on the Northern League in the beginning. Uh, at one point, he mentions basically a, a strip club owner wants to be in, and he kind of had a reputation around town. And between you know where he made his money and the reputation he had, he was like, I'm not sure that's a great look for a new league that's specializing in family entertainment. Especially because at one point, uh, the the prospective owner. A wanted uh, <laughs> he wanted to bring uh, some of his employees, I guess the way to put it, out to uh, to dance on top of the dugout. Which, on one hand, I'm kind of interested to see how that would have went. On the other hand, I could very well see why Miles Wolf would uh, not want that involved in his league, and I don't blame him in the slightest for that. Uh, but that particular potential owner wound up suing him. Uh, there was a couple of others that wound up suing him. There's a bunch of lawsuits that we don't really get any sort of detail on, and I'm not sure legality-wise as to whether or not um, he's allowed to go into it or if he wants to open up that can of worms again. I don't really know. But it certainly does seem as though... You know, he's had a lot of dealings with that in the past and he just does not want to bring it up and he kind of holds resentment towards the attorneys for that because he kind of feels as though, and of course I'm projecting a little bit here, I do want to say that, but I definitely got the sense that he kind of blames the attorneys and the kind of litigation culture that exists now as opposed to when he started in baseball in the 70s and 80s, you know, that it went from that kind of mom and pop small operation to more of a corporate organization. And we go through all that in the book too. And I find that to be very interesting as well. You know, that at one point you could just buy a team for like $50,000 and that's all well. Now, obviously $50,000 in 1975 is significantly different than $50,000 in 2023. But still, you know, it's for owning a ball club. That seems like a very low price here. I mean, there's points here where he's like, yeah, I one guy wanted to sell me the Gastonia team 
uh, for $4,000 and I offered a thousand and then he didn't take that offer. And I was thinking four grand for a ball club. Like I understand, like, you know, (laughs) things are different now, but man, that that's, that's pretty cheap. I mean, like a racehorse is probably only, you know, half of that. So, I mean, (laughs) if you're going to buy a horse or buy a ball club, I mean, you're going to lose about the same on either proposition. So why not take the one that's more fun? But Either way, you know, I, I get the sense that that kind of now existing litigation culture and that kind of like try to recruit something, it's definitely taken its toll on Miles. And I mean, he kind of describes the losses. And in chapter 16, when he goes all over the Ottawa thing, it's obviously the last chapter of the book. And he goes, you know, I don't regret my time in Ottawa, but I do regret the financial amount I put in. I lost $2 million on the proposition. And I was like, whoa, okay. And for me, as someone that reported on that whole Ottawa thing, if you want to go back and listen to that reporting, I mean, I'm not going to tell you it's good. I mean, it's very much in the very beginning of this show. It was 170 episodes ago, I believe. It's mid-30s, I believe, that whole saga was going on. So, I mean, you can go back and listen to it if you want, but do be warned, it's a bit rough. <laughs> I mean, even these episodes aren't, aren't exactly uh, smooth as silk, but those babies are, are very coarse. I'll leave it at that, but and someone that was involved at that time and, you know, I actually got emailed responses from Miles about the situation when I would email the team and ask to now kind of know more of the backstory on it is, uh, it's real cool for me, you know, personally. And a lot of the things, like when we start to get to chapters 14, 15, 16, were things that I was kind of around for, you know, not that I was involved in the game, but as kind of an outside media follower and as an avid fan for a while, to see like these kinds of things, it's kind of like, oh, okay. And especially when we start getting into the independent years, I mean, Bill Lee makes a, gets a mention. Uh, there's a handful of Atlantic League mentions, only two in the book though, uh, I will say. But there's Frontier League mentions, mentions of, you know, cities that are nearby to me, things that I know, things that I'm familiar with, people that I've interacted with, which is obviously extremely cool for me and is enough for me to purchase a physical copy of the book. But certainly... If you didn't have that connection, it's also kind of interesting to see his take on the other leagues. And it's definitely, he understands his role in creating everything. And he takes a lot of credit and takes a lot of pride in that. Uh, Obviously, the success and failure of other leagues is dependent on them. And that's kind of made clear as well. Even still, his role in it is certainly important there. But as I was saying, and just to wrap up the kind of lawyer point, it does seem like we keep coming back to that. That is a recurring theme that I've noticed in in this book as well. The whole foundation, the whole founding of the indie ball process, I know I'm focusing a lot on it, but that's the part where I think most of you guys really want me to focus on, is the really vastly fascinating part here. The time he spends in Savannah, working with the the Savannah Braves out of Grayson Stadium, which I believe is now home to the Savannah Banana, so it's kind of funny how things work out. Uh, this kind of a spiritual successor there if in a way but that it was interesting on some level uh the fireworks story was very funny i like that um but overall man it just it just didn't ring as true to me because i just didn't particularly care about the affiliated part of it and you know i mentioned this a bit earlier and i touched on it when i said it's very procedural the way it goes about things that i didn't love but it also, and this is probably the bigger critique of it, because I'm fine with an X to Y thing. I think it can definitely work. But compared to other kind of books of a similar kind, because I I should preface by saying the vast majority of what I read are sports books. 
they're kind of they're historical. They're they're not they're nonfiction. I, I'm not a big fiction guy, uh, but a lot of times they're writing about a story, an event. They're writing about a league that have previously existed. They're writing about a team in a season for that team. They're writing about the process of becoming good. They're writing about singular events. They're writing about a singular history, and they're not doing it from their own perspective. So they're able to put a little bit more color and a little bit more character into it than you would when you're looking back on something personally. But even when you're looking back on something personally, even in myself and in my own writing, not that it's you know on the same level, I try to put my personality into it. I try to put myself into it. I try to make sure that the way I am in real life and the way I talk and the way I interact with people is reflected on the page because that's how a reader is going to assume you are. That's how they're going to assume things work. That's just their way of being, you know? It's it's how they perceive you to be. It's how they read on the page. And so I understand as a guy that has a master's degree, he's written theses before, and writing a thesis is vastly different from writing a book for for you know commercial profit, which is essentially what it is, and I have no problem with it. I mean, otherwise it wouldn't come out if it was just a vanity project. But when you're writing for an audience that is a general public, you have to present it in a more entertaining way. And I just, I was entertained because it is something that I care about. But generally, I found it to be kind of cold. A very much matter-of-fact way there wasn't a lot of personality in it and that's not to say it's a bad thing you know if you're not looking for that kind of thing if you're looking for the history of it fine but when I'm reading someone's memoir someone's looking back on 50 years in baseball living out their childhood dream for 50 years I kind of expect more emotion. I kind of expect more personality and I have a hard time believing that when you've been in the game for half a century I just felt like we could have built on a lot more, like the process of getting an ECHL team. He says, you know, I talked to another owner that had a team up in Hampton Roads, and he said it's even easier than baseball. Like, I would have liked to know more about that conversation, more of the process of the bidding, like go into the minutiae of it. I, obviously, if you're reading this book, if you're reading this memoir, you know who Miles Wolf is, right? You're familiar with his name. And either you're buying it to support the guy or you're buying it to learn more. If you're buying to learn more, you want to learn more. Like, I would have been perfectly fine if you would have said this book's 250 pages, 300 pages, 320 pages even. You know, double the length of the book. That doesn't matter to me. I'm, I'm curious. I want to know more information. And it just felt like to me that we didn't want to show any emotion. And I, I mean, that's fine. No one's forcing him to do it. It's just for me, I find more compelling and I find more of a connection with what I'm reading and I find to enjoy it a lot more when I can hear more emotion like even the little bit where he covers you know a little bit away from baseball when he talks about his family I didn't get too much off of it like he talks about moving the family from Durham to Quebec which obviously is a huge culture shock we really don't get too much like all the only insight we really get is the family agreed we moved by the plains of Abraham my son adjusted fairly well, and by his second year, he wanted to go to a French-speaking only school, and he really wanted to get involved, and he loved living in Quebec. My daughter didn't, was kind of the opposite, wanted to go back to Durham, said she was going back with us or without us. We lost that fight. That's it. And like, I'm not asking for, you know, personal family details here, but I would have liked to take, 
you know, a page or two and talk about, you know, the adjustment to that. We need more than just like a paragraph of my son liked it. It went well for him. My daughter didn't like it. She went back home. Like we need a little bit more than that. And like he discusses to during the Ottawa fiasco having to sell that house. They started renting it and then they purchased it and they had it for about 20 years. So there's definitely an emotional connection to that. But never really gets into the whole, you know, emotion of it. It's just, my wife is upset. We sold the house. It sold quickly. Okay. You could have languished on the point a little bit, perhaps, you know. Perhaps that's my downfall. Perhaps that's the the problem is that I like to harbor on the emotion too much and really kind of let it marinate a little bit to really drive it home. And that, you know, you could have went... And so then we were faced with the prospects of mounting losses. And I knew I had one asset that I could sell quickly for cash on hand to keep it afloat. And that it would come with a higher price toll than just losing the asset. And that was our house in Quebec. A second home. One that we had been proud to have for 20 plus years. One where we saw our kids go from, you know, teenagers into the young adults they were where they went from finding their way to being their own person. You know, something like that. You could have really hammered in that point, the emotional impact of moving and why the family would. And that kind of tear between selling the thing and keeping the team alive or letting the team die and moving it on. But when you just kind of briefly mentioned we sold the house, it sold quickly, and this is just one example, there's a couple other ones in the book too, it kind of tells me one of two things. One, either it wasn't that important, but you felt like you should mention it because it seemed like a big thing that happened. Or two, it just really wasn't emotional and it was part of the procedure of telling the story. And if it was just part of the procedure of telling the story, then fine. And you could kind of remove some of the other more emotional details and you could have just included it as kind of like an afterthought of we had to sell the house to get cash quick because it was the best. It was the asset that I know could sell the quickest and generate the most amount of cash that we needed. Like that would have been just simple there. Or if it wasn't, you know, that important to the story, wasn't part of the procedure, you didn't need to tell us about it. You just could have not told us. But when you tell us something that clearly would have emotion but you don't really go into the emotion. It just seems kind of foreign to me. And it kind of makes me feel a little disconnected. And, you know, it's just a bit of a problem I had there. You know, we never really got into the highs and the lows. I just always felt like we were sitting in the middle. And that's, again, not a bad thing. I want to reemphasize that because it sounds like I'm being a little negative And I don't like being negative if I could help it. But, you know, it's just a very procedural memoir. Is kind of the way I would put it. And I see we're approaching the roughly 30-minute mark now. So I will try to wrap it up fairly quickly here. Because you know, this is a bonus episode. It's not supposed to be full length, of course. And I, I know that you all have other things to do. And I want you to have the opportunity to go get the book. And want to leave enough there for you as well. And I do want to try and get some more positive things in here as well, too. Um, there are a lot of, you know, really good details. And I think that alone you know, really does save the book. And I know I just spent a lot of time talking about how there isn't too much emotion shown, how it is kind of procedural. And those things are true. But again, if that's just the kind of thing that doesn't really bother you, 
then you'll really, really, really enjoy this book. If you are the kind of person that just is like me and just wants to know more information about the founding of Indie Ball, the very early years, I think this is fantastic. And I think this is the kind of thing that you can really kind of see someone that is a lifer in the game, what that means, what that goes into, how to make it work. And you can really see that contrast between, you know, baseball in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s versus what it became in the 90s, the 2000s, 2018s, and now modern day. You know, it it's very stark. It's very noticeable. There is a difference. And kind of going through and walking through it and walking through how things have changed and the way they are and, you know, all of that really, I think, is worth the purchase price on it. So I would recommend the book. I also would say it probably will not be one of your favorites. And I think there is a realistic expectation that needs to be set on that front there that you have to go in knowing that is kind of an informational piece with uh, someone telling you. It's like someone telling you a story. It's it's like being taught the history is the way I kind of put it, which I think is a positive and I think it does work. It just doesn't work in the way that I would have done it. I will say too, the epilogue, I think it's surprisingly my favorite chapter. I think the Quebec chapter is certainly up there and the Ottawa chapter as well. Although in fairness, Ottawa, like I said, I'm able to relate to it a little bit better because I was kind of covering that whole thing. It was kind of, I don't want to say it's what gave us our break, but it was one that really got a lot of attention for us. So it's a bit of a personal situation for me. So, you know, I like that chapter from that. The Quebec one, I thought we got a little bit more emotion out of, but the very we got the most emotion out of. And for me, the reason why I like it the best is that epilogue. And he kind of talks about the changing state. And he he talks about how Major League Baseball is leaning on these guys again. And how he went to his first winter meeting, you know, in however many years since becoming an independent commissioner. Because for a while they were like, we like you, but we don't like what you're doing. We don't really want you here. You know, kind of the cold shoulder reception. So he was able to go back finally when he left that and, you know, re-engage that community and he found out about the 42 cut and how everything happened and that whole situation again we we've talked about that in plenty on this show so we won't rehash it but he talks a lot about it and he kind of echoes a lot of the same thoughts that we had which is you don't understand reading that how vindicated i felt in a lot of uh, a lot of those areas uh but that said you know, you get really get the sense of he loves this game. He loves minor league sports. He really loves all of that. And he has a lot of resentment towards people that want to go out and really meaningfully change it for the negative. And so I really do appreciate that because at the end of the day, whatever I think of the writing style, whatever I think of them, the method that it was written in and the emotion or lack thereof in the book, what still does come through, especially in the epilogue and what does remain a constant throughout is that this guy loves baseball and he did what he did because that was his motivating factor. And, you know, early on those chapters, I didn't really talk a lot about in the start of the book where he's kind of wandering around finding his way. He leaves Savannah after a couple of years because he feels like, well, I have this master's degree. I have a degree from Johns Hopkins. I should do something outside of baseball. I got to kind of get a real job. I got my fix, but it never went away. He just, you know, left one stability position for a couple of years of bouncing around a little bit. And it kind of really shows that once you love something, in this particular case, baseball or, or sport in general, it never really leaves you. And you're always guided by that passion. You know, he tells the story about Baseball America because obviously, you know, that's where I think a lot of people know. And I think that's 
a large chunk of why I believe he should be in the Baseball Hall of Fame is partially what he did with Baseball America, partially his history with Durham. And lastly, I mean, obviously the part that I care about the most, the independent leagues and all throughout there. And you kind of read through a story and how everything happened and how important he was setting up a lot of this. I think it really just kind of reaffirms that my belief of he should be in the Hall of Fame and as a builder. And I think that definitely deserves to be be the case. And he saved a lot of teams that would have otherwise not existed. And he put baseball in a lot of communities that would have otherwise not had it. Uh, and I think that alone is worthy of, of notation, worthy of worthy of uh, the honor of being in the Hall of Fame. Uh, that said, though, you you do get that part of you can't. Just let the passion go. Passion is always going to exist. It's always going to burn. It never goes away, regardless of what it is. And I think that is a, a, a great message and a great theme to take out of it. So um, with that said, a final rating, a final review, uh, a summary. The too long didn't listen. If you're only tuning in and tuning out of this, you know, maybe my ramblings put you a bit to sleep. Uh, then this is the point to take away. Uh, this is a, This is a memoir by a guy that did an awful lot. It is a history. It is lacking a bit in the emotional uh, side of it. It's lacking a little bit in kind of the character that you may expect. And it also is very procedural. However, that said, it is full of a lot of very good information. There's a lot of stories in here that I think are very interesting. There's a fun little tidbit where every chapter or a lot of the chapters end with a previous writing or a writing sample from somebody else. There's one from his son Hoffman in here uh, about owning the, the hockey team. There's a couple of Sports Illustrated. There's a couple of uh, Durham Bull publications in here that tell stories about meeting guys like Shaq Thompson, you know, uh, interacting with, um, with Aaron. There's a couple of, you know, transcript conversations between him as a league commissioner and ownership and whatnot. There's a funny story about a mascot, you know, having to leave the team for uh, ecumenical reasons. He was going to become a Ukrainian Catholic priest. Um, you know, there's all sorts of things like that in there. And those kind of fun stories, that kind of information, getting the perspective of how everything was built and the whole way minor league sports really operated prior to today, I think alone is worth, uh, worth the purchase. I would definitely say go out and pick it up if you can. I would overall say it's probably a, a 6 out of 10 in my opinion, though which is still a very fine grade. It's a C plus, you know, CC plus. And I think that you can really gather something from that. And if you're a fan of independent baseball, you want to pick it up. If you're a fan of minor league sports, you want to pick it up. That being said, though, if you're not really interested in the subject matter, you may have a harder time really getting engaged in the story. So I would say if you're our demographic, it's probably worth picking up. But if you are just kind of a one-off listener, if you're not particularly interested in minor league sports, I wouldn't even say major league baseball because that really doesn't come up in here. But if you're not particularly interested in minor league sports or, you know, someone building something and the kind of mindset that goes into that, then, like I said, I just have a harder time recommending it to you because I'm not sure how you would like it. So it definitely is a must-buy for those in the niche, but for those that aren't in the niche... Uh, I may recommend picking up a little bit later on. Uh, that said, though, if you do want to pick up the book, McFarlandBooks.com. You can buy it directly from the publisher. McFarland is the publisher there. And again, I appreciate them sending us an advanced copy to uh, review the book. 
And uh, I never promise to be only positive. I never promise to be propaganda because I'm not that. But I, I do promise to be honest and direct. And I do try to find both the positives and the negatives. And as Miles Wolf points out in the book a lot, optimism is, uh, is something you have to have. And experience in knowledge of how to operate is important because when luck arises, you'll know what to do with it. And so I appreciate you guys tuning in for this bonus episode. It's gone a little bit longer than I expected, but hey, it'll happen. And uh, we'll be back on Saturday with another episode. Be sure to check out uh, last week's episode, which if this comes out on the day I'm thinking, should be our Atlantic Lake South review. There's a lot of technical issues recording that one. And luckily that got cleaned up a bit. So hopefully it came out looking good. And uh, yeah, until next time, don't forget to play ball.